kind of led me in a different direction. I'm gonna, it's still going to be things that will fit perfectly with what I've been teaching, but I'd encourage you to get some books back there. I've got a book or a, a teaching set on the effects of praise, and I really wanted to go there last night, and I never totally made it. But the third teaching in that set or in that book is about blessing God and ministering unto God. And I tell you, that is super important. You need to get that. I've also got in my um, You've Already Got It book, which is this one right here. I've got one about speaking to your mountain, which is really important. I teach this a lot about speaking to your mountain and taking your authority. As a matter of fact, if you're watching my series on the believer's authority on television, I'm teaching on that, I think, or have taught on it. And that's important. That's a great truth about prayer. One of the most important things that I feel God ever taught me was um, from Daniel chapter 9 and chapter 10 about what to do when your prayers seem unanswered. And I'd love to teach on all of those things and they would really benefit you. But you know what? Tonight, I want to turn over to John chapter 3. And I just want to share some real simple things with you about the love of God, how much God loves you and... And again, this is the same point that I was making last night about this is what prayer is all about. Prayer is just an opportunity to have a relationship with God. Prayer should be your way of loving God and having a relationship with God. And we've turned it into something that it's our way of getting from God and our way of trying to turn God and change Him. And this morning I taught some things about how in the Old Testament there was an adversarial relationship between God and man. And so they interceded and they turned God from His wrath and they pled. And they even told God to repent in Exodus chapter 32. And He repented. But that's not the relationship that we have. God has reconciled man unto Himself through Jesus. And Jesus has made us friendly. The word reconcile means to make friendly or to bring into harmony. We are now reconciled to God and we don't need to plead with God that way. We don't need to do those things. And sad to say, most people do not really have that revelation. You know, I had one of my employees come to me about 15 years ago and he had been saved from drugs and his life was changed. And man, he was absorbing everything as fast as he could. He was listening to all of my teaching. And he came to me and he says, I've already listened to a hundred teachings. And he says, you know what? I just want to know the bottom line. He says, if you only had one opportunity to minister to people, what would you minister? And I honestly hadn't thought about it that way. And so I had to think for a while, but I came back and told him, I said, you know, if I had to minister one thing, I'd minister this from John chapter 3, verse 16. To me, this is the foundation of everything. And this is the foundation of prayer. And if your relationship with God is all about getting something, instead of loving the Lord, well, then you're never going to have an effective prayer life. You know, when Jill was singing the song that she wrote tonight about my favorite thing to do is to spend my time with you. Man, if that isn't the way you feel, if you aren't just thrilled with God, if you don't long for times where you just fellowship with God, where, you know, however it is that you get alone with God, that you long to just be alone with God and fellowship with Him and tell Him how much you love Him and feel the blessing and the love of God. If that's not the way you feel, you've got a deficiency in your relationship with God. Every believer should be that way. Every one of us should be overwhelmed and thrilled with what God has done. And I find so many people that are just miserable 
they aren't content with the Lord. And, and you know what? If, if being saved doesn't satisfy you, something's wrong with you. And there's a lot of people that aren't satisfied with being saved. They have to have all of these other things. And what it means is that you've missed the real point of salvation. That's what it's saying here in John chapter 3, verse 16. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, every person in here has probably heard this scripture. Many of you memorized it as a kid. And it's become so familiar to most people that they don't know what it says. They've missed it. Let me just say some things right here. This says that the purpose of Jesus coming to this earth is so that you can have everlasting life. What is everlasting life? Well, people think, well, that's going to heaven. It's living forever. No, right here in this same chapter down in verse 36, it says, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. Not is going to have everlasting life, but has it. Already, So everlasting life isn't something that, ha- that starts when you go to heaven. Everlasting life is something that you can have right here on this earth. In chapter 5 and verse 24, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, talking about hell, punishment after this life, but is passed from death unto life. Everlasting life isn't something that is going to start in the future. Everlasting life isn't just living forever. If that's what it was, Hitler is living forever. Mussolini is living forever. Saddam Hussein is living forever. Every single person who has ever breathed on this earth is living forever. You don't cease to exist when you die physically. You are going to live forever. And somebody would say, well, it's living forever in heaven instead of in hell. No, because these verses say that it is now. It's right here in this life. And so here's my point. People have misinterpreted this. And the message that the church is preaching primarily is come to the Lord, get saved so that you won't go to hell, but instead you'll go to heaven. That is not the gospel. That is not the truth. Now, it is true that if you accept Jesus that you won't go to hell and you will go to heaven and you will live for eternity in heaven and that's wonderful. And you know, if that's all there was to salvation, I'd proclaim that because that's more than any of us deserve. And that's good. But that's not what salvation is. Let me say it this way. That Jesus didn't come to primarily forgive your sins. The forgiveness of your sins was not the goal of Jesus coming to this earth. That's not what he came to do. Now, he did come to forgive your sins, but he only came to forgive your sins so that you could have eternal life, which isn't just living forever. I'm going to explain that in just a minute. And forgiveness of sins was a barrier that stood between us and eternal life. And so Jesus came and did die for our sin. He became sin and paid for our sins to wipe that out and remove this barrier But if all you did, let me say it this way, if all you did was get your sins forgiven so that you wouldn't go to hell, but instead you're going to heaven, you have missed salvation. That's not what it's about. This says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes on him would not perish. And the church basically has put a period right there. 
The reason Jesus came was so that you wouldn't perish. But no, the reason Jesus came was so that you could have eternal life. Let me say it this way. If the Lord could have produced eternal life in you without forgiving your sins, he would have done it. Forgiveness of sins is not the goal. It's necessary. It has to be done. And Jesus did die for our sins and become an, a, a payment for our sins. He took our sins in his own body on the tree, 1 Peter 2, 24. And he did forgive us of our sins, but that wasn't the goal. The goal is to bring us into everlasting life. And most Christians aren't experiencing everlasting life. They're, forgive, they're experiencing forgiveness of sins and they're waiting until they go to heaven and they're singing songs about when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And the, but they're singing you know, in the sweet by and by, but in the rough now and now, man, they're just struggling and they're going through life depressed and discouraged. It's a, for a Christian to be depressed, is, is, uh, it's an oxymoron. It's wrong. If you really understood what salvation was, if you were to receive salvation the way it was intended to be received, how in the world could you be depressed, discouraged? It just doesn't compute. You know, Charlie, as he was ending the praise and worship, was singing or was praying and said something about it's well with my soul. And that reminded me, you know, of the song, It Is Well With My Soul. And that's about a man who uh, he was a missionary and his family was coming home and they were on a ship and the ship went down and he lost his wife and children and everything. He lost everything he had. And when he was coming back, he asked the captain to show him the spot where the ship went down and his family was killed and the captain showed him and he was standing on the bow of that ship and thinking about what happened and this is when it came back. It is well with my soul. And he started singing, it's well with my soul and praising God. And salvation, his relationship with God was so real to him that it overcame the loss of his wife, the loss of his children, the loss of everything that he had. And you know, that's, that's what salvation is. Salvation, having God love you and know that God loves you and that Jesus came and died for you is so important that how in the world could we be bothered that somebody else doesn't like us? It just doesn't compute. You know, if somebody in here didn't treat you right and said something to you and you felt a little bit hurt over that, and then the President of the United States or somebody else calls you up and says, you know, I heard about what happened and I want you to know that I think you're wonderful and they just start complimenting you and would you come to the White House and would you be my friend? You know what, that would probably overcome most of y'all's fear of rejection. Well, that's the way it is. God Almighty loves you. And yet, well, my husband or my wife doesn't love me. Who cares? I'm saying that in a relative sense. I'm saying it is important. But you know John Wesley? John Wesley turned the world right side up. John Wesley was a powerful man of God. And I've been to his home in London. And John Wesley's wife was a witch. A literal witch. She hated him. John Wesley, he was breaking with the Church of England and he was ostracized and kicked out of the church and he had a lot of problems. And anyway, in those days, you couldn't minister if you weren't married and he just felt obligated to marry. So he just picked this woman and married her and it was a marriage of convenience and she turned out to be a witch. And anyway, she hated him. 
And we saw this place where John Wesley would kneel and pray and they told us that his wife would often come by and spit on him and kick him and do things to him and tell him, you, are, you hypocrite, and just persecute him and blast him and let him have it. And you know what? I'm not saying that that's good, but John Wesley was able to just change the world with the power of the gospel. He still went around the world and did it. Moses' wife separated from him and said, you're a bloody husband to me. And she left and went home to daddy. And Moses went home, went on to uh, Egypt and delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt with a split home. I'm not saying that that's the way it should be, but I'm saying that your relationship with God should be so paramount that nothing else is comparable. There shouldn't be any comparison. And the very fact that some of us say, oh yeah, I know that I'm forgiven and God loves me, but this, this person, they didn't send me a card on my birthday and because of that, I'm thinking I might kill myself. I'm thinking I might just give up and quit. Boy, the spirit of slap just wants to come all over me. It's like, you don't know how much Jesus loves you. If you were to just think about how much Jesus loves you, I'm not saying that you enjoy people that don't like you and hardships. You know, life is a terminal experience. Unless the Lord comes back quickly, we're all going to die. Life will kill you. And if you just stop and think about that and think about things, you know what? There's reason to be discouraged. There's reasons to be depressed. But if you factor in the fact that God Almighty loves you, you've got zero reason to gripe and complain. If you suffered your entire life down here, you're going to live in a mansion, a mansion that you don't deserve. But because of God's great love, He's going to give you a mansion. You're going to have streets paved with gold. Everything's going to be perfect. There will never be any more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. Everything's going to be perfect. If you just thought about that, that ought to be able to overcome whatever you're suffering down here. I believe in healing. We've been seeing great miracles of healing. But if you never got healed, you're going to live for eternity healed. You ought to be able to suffer with the hangnail down here without getting mad and bitter. Amen. I believe in prosperity and I believe God wants you to prosper. But if you never prosper down here, you're going to live in a mansion, streets of gold. You ought to be able to at least just say, thank you, Father, that I'm still alive. I'm eating. I've got enough. I'm content. Having food and raiment, I'm content. But see, we... Because we don't have a relationship with God and because we aren't enjoying a good relationship with God, then all of these other things have become crutches that we have to have and lean on. The only thing that will ever let you down is something that you lean on. If you don't lean on people, if you don't have to have your house and your car and your gold and jewelry, if that's not where your happiness is, then you'll never miss it if it leaves. We need to get to a place to where we really are valuing God. Look over in the 17th chapter of the book of John. This is Jesus praying his prayer right before his crucifixion, the night before his crucifixion. And he said in verse 1, These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. Now here we are talking about eternal life again. John three sixteen. This is what Jesus came to give us was eternal life. And Jesus is the author of eternal life. So here he is in verse 3. It's just like if you looked eternal life up in a dictionary. 
Here is the scripture's definition of eternal life in verse 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. That is eternal life. Eternal life isn't living forever. Eternal life isn't going to heaven instead of hell. Eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ. And this is talking about knowing in the biblical sense of the word where it says that Adam knew Eve and that she conceived and had a child. And then Cain knew his wife and she conceived and had a child. In the Bible, the word know here is used to describe the most intimate relationship between a man and a woman that you can get. This is talking about intimacy. This is talking about knowing in the experiential realm, not just talking about intellectually knowing. There's people that say, oh yeah, I know God. And then they'll turn around and say, yeah, God killed my child because he loves me so much. God is going to judge this nation because we haven't repented. You don't know God. God's not killing people. God's not the one that's making people sick. God's not angry. God's not judging. There's so many people today that say that they know God, but by the way they represent him, you can tell they don't know him. They don't have an intimate relationship with him. This is talking about that the goal of salvation is to know God in that intimate, close, personal way. God created us for intimacy. I talked about that last night out of Revelation chapter 4 where the angels are saying that for this purpose we are and were created so that we can bring pleasure to Him. God created mankind not as servants. He didn't need more angels. He created us to be objects of His love, to love us and so that we could love Him back. God created us for relationship. And the reason that Jesus came to this earth and died, let me say it this way, if there had not been a heaven or hell, did you know Jesus still would have come to this earth and have died to redeem us? Because the goal of him coming wasn't to forgive you of your sins so that you wouldn't go to hell, but instead you get to go to heaven. The reason of Jesus coming to redeem us is so that he could have intimacy with us, so that we could know him, know him, know the Father the way that Jesus knew the Father. Jesus knew his father so well that, you know, he had multitudes thronging him. And one time after he had fed the multitudes with the five loaves and the two fish, the next, he went into a ship and went over to the other side because he, he and his disciples needed to rest. So he tried to get away from the crowds. And when he got over on the other side, they had run around the lake and they met him and they said, you know, how did you get here? And then they said, we want to make you a king. They wanted to come and by force make him a king. These people were wanting to establish him as king. And Jesus said to him, he says, you aren't seeking me because you love me. You're seeking me because you've got your belly full. And you see me as a way of getting all of your needs met. I fed you with five loaves and two fish, and so you want me to become your king so that I can meet all of your needs. And brothers and sisters, I'm saying these things in love, but there's a lot of people sitting right here. And again, you're, you're a great group. I'm not ragging on you. You're here on a Saturday night. You aren't your nod to God crowd. You're the fanatics. I commend you. 
And yet there's a lot of people sitting right here in this room that I can guarantee you, you want to serve the Lord because you see Him as your way of getting healed, your way of getting prosperous, your way of getting your marriage back together, your way of getting your job. You're out of work and you want a job and so you're here and starting to seek God. I talked to a man who told me 15 years ago he came and was turned on at one time, but then he got to doing his own thing. And now he's got cancer come up in the last few months and now he's seeking God again. He's seeking God because he sees God as the only way he's going to live. And I'm not saying it's wrong to come to the Lord under crisis and and realize that God can meet your needs, but you need to go beyond that. We need to get beyond what God can do for us into knowing him and loving him for who he is, for his great love. And yet there's so many people that their relationship with God is so shallow. It's all about what they can get and let them not get something. Let them not get a need meant. Let them pray for healing and not see it happen. And they're bitter and they're angry at God. And they're going to quit serving God. Man, it's a good thing I'm not God. You'd just be a pile of ashes. I'd strike you dead on the spot. That's just terrible. That's terrible. And yet that's the way so many people are. Jesus told him, you aren't seeking me because you love me. You seek me because you ate of the food. And you want more food. And so he began to start being hard on them. He says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't come to the Father. And you know, these people thought he was talking about cannibalism. They thought, they they began to say, what are you saying? Eat your flesh and drink your blood. And rather than him say, oh, I'm sorry. I offended you. Please don't misunderstand me. I don't want anybody to misunderstand me. Let me make sure. And he started apologizing. He didn't apologize. He said, Verily I say unto you, if you don't eat my flesh and if you don't drink my blood, you have no life in you. He just got harder and harder and harder. And the more they misunderstood, the stronger he got. And finally, multitudes, thousands of people left him. And he was left with nobody but his 12 disciples. Did you know most people today would just fall apart like a $2 suitcase? Oh, I used to have a great ministry. People used to come. Now nobody, and they would go to sucking their thumb and go to God and complain about, oh God, what happened? You You know, if we heard about it, we'd say, well, that person, he used to be anointed. He used to have a church of thousands and now he's down to 100 people. And we'd sit there. And you know what? Most of us, we are so dominated by physical, natural things that we would just cave to that kind of pressure. Jesus turned around to his 12 disciples and he says, are you going to leave also? There's the door. You know what? Are you just serving me for what you can get or are you serving me because you really believe that I'm the son of God? He says, there's the door. You're free to leave. And Peter finally said, well, we want to leave, but where else can we go? You're the only one. He says, we've already given up everything, but I guess we'll stay with you. But he lost multitudes. Thousands of people forsook him. And you know what? Jesus was so secure in the fact that his father loved him that it didn't matter. He was just as content. He was going to speak the truth if there was five people there or if there was 5,000 people there. There's not very many people that would do that. There's not very many people that would serve God if he didn't heal you, if he didn't prosper you, if things didn't work out. There's probably people right here in this room that if things don't work out, you're gone. I've had people come up before and say, I wouldn't serve a God that doesn't heal. I wouldn't serve a God that doesn't prosper you. 
Well, praise God, I don't have to serve a God that doesn't heal because that is God's will and God is a good God and He wants to bless us. But you know what? I would serve God if He didn't heal. If God was a bad God that was putting sickness on people and if He was judging America and if He was the one that made you miserable. I was brought up to believe all of those things were true. When I was 12 years old, the pastor of the church came over and says, God took your father this morning. He's now in heaven. God needed him in heaven more than you needed him. That wasn't true. But I was told that it was true. And you know what? I still served God. I served God when I was told that God's the one that killed my dad. I, was, I served God when I was told that God's the one that put all the problems on me and was responsible for all the tragedy in the world. I'm not God. And I'm not sitting here dictating and saying, God, I want you to be this way. You know, I just read a Barna survey and he did this survey of Christians and among people that are calling themselves born-again Christians, which is a select group. It, but I'm sure not all of those are truly born-again, but even among the people who call themselves born-again, basically he asked how they developed their theology and he took all this and compiled it. And basically uh, something like 80, 90% of all quote-unquote born-again Christians come up with their theology just based on this is what they think it should be. This is how they feel. They think that a good God wouldn't send people to hell and so they don't believe in hell. And they believe this and they believe that and they believe whatever they want to and they basically just pick and choose and it's piecemeal and they, they have come up with a smorgasbord God. That's wrong. You aren't God. It's not up to you to pick and choose. You know what? If God was a mean God, He's God and I'd serve Him because He's God and I'm not. The fact that He is a good God is wonderful and I praise God for the revelation we have in the Word of God, but I'm not dictating to God how He is. Here's real simple theology. There's only one God and you are not Him. Therefore, it's your responsibility to bow the knee and acknowledge that He created you. You didn't create Him. It's not up to you to pick and choose. But see, most of us are just sitting here and we're picking our own theology and if things don't work out, we're going... Jesus was so secure because He had a relationship with God Almighty. He knew His Father. He loved His Father. And because of it, it was just like water off a duck's back, what everybody else had to say. If you are, if the fear of man bothers you, if you have to have constant reaffirmation and people have to stroke you and tell you things, and if anybody neglects you or if somebody criticizes you, then you know what? you got a poor relationship with God. You can reach a place to where the fact that you know that God loves you is so great, you don't, you don't want people to be mad at you because that's not good. It's not good for them. It's not good for you. It's not a good witness. And so you try and make things work out. But you know what? You could stay in a marriage not because you have to have that person love you for you to be able to survive. You could stay there because you want to be a blessing to them, because you want to see God touch them. You could be content in the Lord and God could meet your needs like John Wesley so that if your wife spits on you and kicks you and tells you you're of the devil, you just go on and change the world and keep loving God and serving God instead of staying at home sucking your thumb. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, when you are all wrapped up in yourself, you make a very small package. When you understand how much God loves you, and when you get this perspective that God Almighty loves me, 
It changes the way you feel about everything else. It makes the colors brighter. It makes the day better. You just reach a place to where, man, God loves me. What else matters? Can any of you remember when you first fell in love? If it was God's kind of love instead of lust? That you know what? You can get so caught up into a person that honestly you just forget everything else. I remember when I was pouring cement for a living and I was working with an ungodly crew. And they were persecuting me and they, you know, I was witnessing to all of these guys and they were telling me that this is of the devil and they were fighting against me. And so anyway, I still witnessed them, but I was guarded about what I said. And then when I started dating Jamie and we told, I told him I was going to get married, these guys were judging me by their standards. And they said, uh-huh, we know what you were doing last night. You've been out playing licky face is what they called it. And they were, they were accusing me of doing all of the stuff that they would have done. And so you know what? I just didn't talk about it. But I was so in love with Jamie. I was thinking about Jamie so much. I remember one time I was troweling a bay window. And when you trowel that cement or cement, excuse me, when you trowel that, you know, the water comes up and you see your reflection And I was looking at that reflection and I was thinking, I love you, Jamie. And I was just saying, I love you, Jamie. And pretty soon I noticed here were all of these black faces around me looking in that. And I was saying it out loud. And all of these guys were hearing me say, I love you, Jamie. And boy, they just blasted me. I wouldn't have ever have done that if I'd have really been thinking about myself. But you know what? I lost myself. I was thinking about Jamie. Oh, isn't that awesome? That's the way it is when you fall in love with the Lord. You can get to a place to where you just can't help it. I was filling up my gas tank one time, you know, and, and it was raining cats and dogs. It was coming a flood. And um, the attendant came out and he says, you get back in the car and I'll fill it up. And I said, why? And he said, well, look at this day. And I said, oh, it's a beautiful day, isn't it? And he just looked at me like, you're crazy. What's wrong with you? We're... You know, it's coming to flood, and I just couldn't help it. I'm just happy. I was praising God and thinking it's a beautiful day. And I had to tell him about Jesus to explain why I thought it was a beautiful day so he wouldn't think I was crazy. You know what? You can get to where you don't even realize it. Other people are griping and cussing, and you don't have to sit there and force yourself, but you're just in love with the Lord. Before you know it, you just say, oh, thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I was playing basketball one time with a group of guys. And, you know, there were people I'd never met before. I'd never seen them, but we were just out and we needed some people to play a game. So we were playing basketball. And these guys were using profanity and cussing and blaspheming God. And you know what? I didn't do this because I was trying to condemn them or something. But they started blaspheming God. And I just started going, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. I was just praising God. And these people looked at me like, what are you doing? And I said, well, equal time. You praise your God, I praise mine. And I didn't say it mad at them, trying to condemn them. And I said, look, I'm not mad at you, but I just love God. And so I started praising God. And pretty soon, every time they'd miss a shot, they'd go, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I didn't care. At least I wasn't hearing them blaspheme God anymore. You know what? You fall in love with the Lord. You just can't help but have joy. 
If you're depressed and discouraged, you aren't in love with the Lord. You may know that He loves you and you may have received salvation, but you aren't staying in the presence of God. When you get to know God, that's what makes everything else in the Christian life work. And this is what Jesus came to do, was to bring you into an intimate, close, personal relationship with Him. And if you had this sin barrier removed and got your sins forgiven... And if you aren't having intimacy with God, you're missing salvation. I'm not saying you're going to hell. Maybe you've got your salvation secure and you're going to go to heaven. But see, this is one of the major problems with the body of Christ. They've preached that salvation is getting your sins forgiven so you can go to heaven. And salvation to most people is going to heaven. And when we all get to heaven, what a day that's going to be. And they sing about that, but they don't understand that salvation, the real purpose of salvation is to know God. And the early New Testament church, see, had this message. It wasn't about getting your sins forgiven so that you wouldn't go to hell. If you read the messages that are written in the book of Acts and go through, it's every one of them is that God sent Jesus to bring you into relationship and people came into relationship with God. They had a vibrant, hot, intimate relationship with God. They loved God. You know, I've got this book that somebody gave me and it's an encyclopedia of Christian martyrs. And I've read about the first 400 years worth of Christian martyrs. And I tell you what, it just puts us to shame, these people's relationship. It's amazing the things that have gone on. I remember this one woman who was uh, pregnant and she was going to be martyred for being a Christian. This is about 300 A.D. And uh, all of her friends that were in her house group were all in prison and she was in prison and they were going to kill them all and feed them to the lions and to the beast and she was pregnant and they had a rule in Rome that you couldn't martyr a pregnant woman and so they were taking her out of the group the next day and this woman, she loved these people so much she says, oh God, let me die with my friends and she prayed, she was only eight months pregnant and, she, and her friends prayed with her she went into labor and delivered the baby in prison, gave it to a friend of hers to raise so that she could have this honor of going out and dying with her friends and here she was and of course the Romans stripped them naked and, here's, and it, it's gory if I was to go into all of the details but they put her in a net and bulls and lions just tore her from limb to limb and she was out there praising God and glorifying God and she wrote a letter to her baby about how wonderful it was to know Jesus and it's recorded in there. And we have those writings. And you can see the same thing in the Bible. You find that Peter, James and John, the apostles were beaten and it says in the fourth chapter that they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his namesake. Paul and Silas were thrown into the Philippian jails. Their back was beaten and they were in the stocks. And instead of crying and griping and complaining and, oh God, why did you let this happen to me? They were singing songs at midnight because they loved God. And when their prison doors were open, they didn't leave because they weren't praising God to get something. They were actually praising God because they loved God. And when they were set free, they didn't even leave because they didn't have to get out of prison to be happy. I've talked to people in prison. There's a guy named Tock over in uh, England that we've ministered to. He's in for two murders. And the man's been born again. And we go into that prison and minister. And 
and talk. Man loves God and is leading people to the Lord. And he's freer in prison than, he, than most of us are out of prison. He loves God. They're seeing revival in there. Matter of fact, they've had so many people born again, they had to build a new chapel because they can't accommodate all of the people. And that has become the largest prison in England because it, it has the greatest rate of nonviolence and people's lives are being changed. And so they are expanding it. It's becoming the largest prison in England. And the chaplain got uh, baptized in the Holy... Uh, the chaplain and the warden got baptized in the Holy Ghost at my meetings. And man, they're on fire and there's revival happening. And it's the maximum security. So when these people get born again, they quit being violent. They're downgraded to a lesser deal and they ship them out all over England. And when we were there just last month, the chaplain told us, says, this week we've had two prisons contact us and say, would you give us the materials, whatever it is that you're using? We want to get this results. We've seen these people come in. And so we're shipping out our discipleship evangelism program. And we got that going all over England in prisons and people's lives are being changed. Those people are happier and you know, a lot of people will say, well, we need to pray with you and pray that you can get out of prison. You know what? If they, if they had the opportunity to get out of prison, they'd probably take it. But those people are happy and praising God and God is blessing them. I'm telling you, we've become so carnal that we have to have a million dollar home and we have to have all of these things to be happy and content. And I'm telling you, if Jesus isn't enough to make you content, you got a bad attitude. Anybody miss that? Jesus is enough. And Jesus loves you, so he doesn't want you to live in a grass hut. He doesn't want you to live under a bridge. The Lord wants to take care of you. I'm not pre preaching poverty. I'm not preaching being sick. I'm not preaching being poor. But I am saying that Jesus should be enough. You know, the disciples, Jesus was talking to them the night before his crucifixion, and he said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip says, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. He just said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And they said, oh, show us the Father and we'll be satisfied. You know what he's saying is, Jesus, we aren't satisfied with you. But if we could see the Father, if you could make the heavens open up, and if we saw God sitting on a throne in heaven, we'd be satisfied. I'm telling you, if Jesus isn't enough to satisfy you, you wouldn't be satisfied if you saw the heavens open up. If getting your sins forgiven and knowing that God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son and Jesus died for you, and if that isn't enough to make you happy, then you won't be satisfied if you get a million dollar home, if you get ten cars, if you win the lottery, whatever it is that you're seeking after, it's not going to satisfy you. I'm telling you, salvation is about knowing God. This is what prayer ought to be about, is about knowing God and loving God and worshiping God. And we would be better off if we would just go to loving Him. Now, again, I'm not saying that you reject healing and all of these things. God wants to bless you, and it's a tremendous testimony. You know, we had our sister down here. Which one was it? Was it you that was healed with your jaw, and she gave her testimony about how that so she had had such a miraculous healing on her jaw she didn't even think about the fact that her jaw is out of whack every morning when she wakes up and then that word of knowledge came last night and God just showed her that you know what he loves her so much he doesn't want her to just get to where she looks okay he wants to restore her back completely 
because of God's great love. I believe that, yes, we ought to receive healing, and yes, we ought to receive prosperity, but all of those things should be a byproduct of relationship with God, not something that we use relationship to get these things. And this is where most Christians are living. And, because, and it's proven in our prayer life. When do you pray the most? When you're in need, when you need something. That's when you get serious. That's when you seek God. And I'm saying this in love, but you know what? That you're carnal. You aren't seeking God with a pure heart. If you were seeking God with a pure heart, it'd be like Jill's song. Man, your favorite thing to do is just to get alone with God and fellowship with God. And you'd love God. And when everything's good, you'd spend more time with God instead of less time with God. You know, I really resent having to sit there and ask for things because it's just an infringement on my relationship with God. I don't like to have to ask. Now, the scripture says you can ask and ask so that your joy may be full. And I'm not saying it's wrong, but I'm saying it shouldn't occupy a lot of our time. It ought to be a very small percentage of your relationship with God. What, what eternal life is all about is God loves you. He didn't come as God who felt responsible and felt some degree of pity and so he had to make some way to fix this mess that the human race got themselves into. No, God came because he loves every one of us passionately and he wanted relationship with you. If there had been no heaven and hell, Jesus still would have died to bring you into relationship with him just during the brief time you're here on earth. You know what that does? That raises the worth and the value of every individual. If God Almighty thought that you were worth dying for, and some people may debate this, but I believe that if you were the only person alive, Jesus still would have come and died for you. He didn't just see billions of people as being worth his effort. He saw every one of you individually as being worth his effort. If you could ever understand that, if you could receive that, I guarantee you that would change your life to think that God Almighty loves you that much. This is what changed my life, March the 23rd, 1968. I got born again 10 years before that in 58. And I was serving God, quote unquote, to the degree that I knew how. I was 18 years old. But you know what? I was thinking I was pleasing God by my own effort. I was trying to earn God's favor. It's a long story. But in that prayer meeting, March the 23rd, 1968, God showed me that I was a religious hypocrite. I was trusting in my own goodness and just turned me inside out. And I repented. And for the first time in my life, I realized that I wasn't, all of my religious works were worth nothing. That just based on my actions, I'm talking about my self-righteousness was an offense against God. It was a stink in his nostrils. I saw that for the first time in my life. I repented for hours in front of all of the leaders of our church, I exposed myself. I made every vile thought and rotten thing that I'd ever done known to the whole world. I repented and I fully expected God to kill me. And you know what changed my life? Is when I was at my very worst and I finally got rid of my trust and my acceptance of myself. At that moment, Man, a supernatural God kind of love came over me. And for four and a half months, I was just overwhelmed. I was caught up in the presence of God. And I knew that God loved me. 
And I knew that it wasn't based on anything I did because it came when I was at my very worst. I didn't understand it. I couldn't understand why a holy God would love me, but I knew that God loved me, and it changed my life. I've never gotten over it. It's been 41 years this last March. And you know what? I'm more in love with God. I'm, more, I'm still just overwhelmed with the fact that God would love me. I don't deserve God to love me. I hadn't done anything that God should love me for. Man, God's a good God. If you were to just, and I can tell you when that happened to me, my life just flip-flopped. Nothing else became important. Nothing else. Everything paled in comparison. And brothers and sisters, I'm saying this in love, but I talked to a lot of people. I prayed with 40 people here tonight. I've, I talk to people, I minister to people all of the time, and I can guarantee you the bottom line on most of the people who come to me with all of their problems is that you just don't know that God loved you. If you knew that God loved you, the Bible says Galatians 5, 6, that faith works by love. If you really had a revelation of how much God loved you, you would, you would believe God. You would know that a good God who gave His Son to die for you there is no way he's going to not give you healing. There's no way that he's not going to take care of you financially. God is a good God. It would just totally obliterate your unbelief and your fear. People are worried about the future. There are some of you that have been listening to the news, which is really the number one problem probably, is that we listen to the world rather than listening to the Word of God. And the world doesn't know God and the world doesn't understand the love of God. And they're just speaking forth their fear. And we're plugged into the world. And so many of you are bothered about the economy when God has promised you He would supply all of your need according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Did you know that fear, worry, is blasphemy against the promises of God? It's an insult against the love of God. If you just knew how much God loved you, it just changes everything. And you know what? I didn't instantly get my mind renewed. My heart was instantly changed when I had that experience. I mean, it changed my motives. It, everything on the inside of me changed. But I had the same head. And it took me at least three or four years to even get the first inkling of why God could love me and start understanding. And I'm now 41 years into it and I still haven't totally renewed my mind. There's things that happen that I still don't understand. There's things that shouldn't happen, that do happen. And I still don't understand it. But you know what? I know in my knower that God loves me and that it's never God who fails. And because of that, it gives me an ability to cope with things and to deal with things that other people don't deal with. And I'm telling you, if you're stressed out, you don't understand the love of God. You aren't walking in eternal life. You have it available to you, but you aren't taking advantage of it. If you're fearful, you don't have eternal life functioning on the inside of you. If you're sick and poor... If you're beat down, if it seems like you're one that something's always wrong, you don't have eternal life working on the inside of you. It's available. That's what Jesus came to do, was to give you eternal life. But you have to accept it. You have to receive it. And it takes faith on our part to believe that you mean God loves me. God would want to fellowship with me. That's not what religion is preaching. Religion uses fear of God's rejection and punishment to manipulate and control you to get you to do things. 
I don't know if you all have picked up on it, but the way that I've received offerings this week is different than the way most people receive offerings. Most people will sit there and either tell you about their need, and if you don't give, we're going to go off television, and please, pretty please, and they'll play on your emotions and then make you feel guilty, like, well, man, they're in need. I guess I ought to help them, stuff like that. Or they will come out and sit there and condemn you if you don't give. What I've been doing is trying to teach you why it's good for you to do it and how God loves you and how this is going to help you and it's going to do all these things. It's a different approach. Most of religion is condemning and manipulative and it is driving you to God out of fear. It's not drawing you by love. And we've been so conditioned by this. We've been indoctrinated to the point that we just are Kool-Aid drinkers just marching in line to destruction and letting them do this to us. I'm telling you, you need to get a revelation that God loves you and His love for you has nothing to do with you being lovely. He loves you because He is love, not because you are lovely. God loves you and there's nothing you can do about it. You can't make God love you more. And you can't make God love you less. But you can either enjoy the love of God or you can reject it. And most of us have been so conditioned that we're unworthy that we won't let God love us. Psalms chapter 35 verse 27 says, Let the Lord be magnified, which hath pleasure in the prosperity of his servant. If you were to diagram that sentence, it would have to be you is the understood subject. You let the Lord be magnified. You have to let the Lord be magnified. You have to let the goodness of God work. It doesn't just happen automatically. It depends on what you believe. And most of us are believing that God is ticked off. He's angry. He's displeased with us. We haven't understood that He so loved you that He died and removed the sin barrier. And now God loves you. God's not upset. And we aren't entering into the presence of the Lord and loving Him. And that's what we need to do. That's what prayer is all about. Prayer is just knowing God. You need to know God. You need to know Him in the scriptural sense of the word. You need to have spiritual, emotional intercourse where God's love is impregnating you and, and operating in your life. Not just where you say, I know God. You know, you could come and tell people, people could say, have you ever heard of Andrew Womack? Oh yeah, I know him. I went to his meeting. But you don't know me in the scriptural sense of the word. Amen. And you know what? There's many of us that say, oh yeah, I know God. But you don't know him. You don't have eternal life. It's available to you, but we aren't taking advantage of it. It's not the goal of most people's salvation. You know, the Bible says faith comes by hearing. and Hearing by the word of God. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. If John 3.16 has been preached this way, believe on the Lord so that you won't go to hell. If that's what you've been told, then what do you have faith for? To get your sins forgiven and not go to hell. But you don't have faith for intimacy and, and eternal life because that hasn't been presented. This isn't the goal of what most people preach. We, the church somehow or another has divorced this from our intimacy with God and they reduce salvation to get your sins forgiven so that you won't go to hell. Repent or else. Turn or burn. That's the message of most Christians. 
And so you know what that does? That gives people faith to say, well, I can use the Lord and I can get saved and I won't go to hell. And that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. If that's all you hear, then that's all you got faith for. And so people don't have faith for an intimate relationship. They don't know that it's available. They don't know, have this as the goal of their salvation. So you know what we've done with this kind of message? We have lots of people that have gotten born again and are saved and stuck waiting on eternity. And really, what's the point in going to church after you get saved with the message the way it's... You've got what you came for. You got your sins forgiven. You aren't going to go to hell. So now all you got to do is just keep your nose above water and not reject the Lord before you die and you got what you want. So in a sense, we have preached the body of Christ into the carnality therein because we haven't placed an intimate relationship with God as the goal of salvation. But see, the first century church did that. That's what it's about. That's how these martyrs did things. When I was in Rome, I was only 18 years old and I went to Rome and I remember going through the catacombs and going through the Circus Maximus and the Colosseum. And I heard all of these reports and I tell you, it really impacted me because those people, they had a relationship with God. There's actually historical accounts that when they would burn the Christians at the stake, they would impale them on sharp sticks and run it up through them and, and just burn them alive. And yet the Christians would sing. They would sing so loud and worship the Lord that Nero literally stuck his fingers in his ears and said, why must these Christians sing? He couldn't understand how here they were being tortured and they were praising God. And the Christians would fight each other to see which one got to go out and die. You know why? Because there's a special grace on you when you're martyred. And they could see these people, just the presence of God would come over him and the Christians would literally, they, they loved God so much. Their relationship with God was so important. It was more important to them than their physical life that they would fight each other to see who got to go out and die because they wanted to experience that love and that acceptance of God. That was more important to them than physical life. And it's also reported that there was as many as seven Romans that would jump out of the stands and run out there and kneel and confess Jesus as their Lord and get born again for every Christian who died because they saw the grace and the power of God on them so much they knew they were going to be put to death immediately, but they would accept death so that they could have what the Christians had. And today what we do is go knock on a door and you're sitting there look like you've been sucking on prunes and you say, don't you want what I have? And you can't understand why people aren't wanting it. And the reason you're knocking on the door is you don't love that person or you don't love God. You love yourself and you get credit. You go back and get a pat on the back and you salve your conscience and think, now maybe God will do something if I go out and witness there's no God love in it. It's all self-love. Man, the New Testament Christians, they didn't put bumper stickers on the camels going across the desert. They didn't have radio and television. They didn't even have a printed Bible. They didn't even have printed materials. And yet in 30 years, they turned the known world right side up. You know why? Because they knew God in the scriptural sense of the word. Because they had a relationship that was infective, infectious. And today we got people sitting there 
condemning and yelling and screaming and misrepresenting God, and then they wonder why people aren't drawn to it. I tell you, it's still the same today as it was back then. If you catch on fire for God, people will come watch you burn. People love to see a fire, amen. They'll, they'll follow a fire engine. If you catch on fire for God, people will watch you burn. People don't want to see your tracks. They want to see your tracks. They want to see how you walk. People don't want you yelling at them and telling them things. People just want you to be so full of the love of God that while everybody else is talking about the swine flu, you know, just, that's recent. And people were proclaiming a pandemic. It didn't happen. It's not going to happen. The world is just weird. The world is full of fear. The world is always pushing the panic button. And I can guarantee you there's some of you in here who are Christians who love God. You're born again and yet you were bothered by the swine flu and you had fear about it. And it would, perfect love had cast out fear. There's no reason to have any fear over that. There's no reason to have any fear over anything. There's no reason to be fearful about the economy. Man, perfect love just cast out fear. Perfect love will put you on a high that, you know, it just, it's like a dope addiction in a sense. It, who cares, amen? You're high, who cares? Just do whatever, amen? I'm blessed. You can get high on Jesus. You can get so in love with the Lord that it just doesn't matter what's going on in the world. You care because you don't want other people to suffer and you, you're going to do something because you feel led of God to do it, but you don't have to do it for yourself. Amen or oh me. I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, God wants you to have intimate relationship with Him. And if you aren't, I mean, if God isn't your best friend, if you couldn't sing with Jill, that my favorite thing to do, not just every once in a while I've enjoyed it, but... My favorite thing to do is to spend my time with you. Amen. You're missing out on salvation. Wow. If there was no heaven or hell, right now it's awesome. Christianity, having a relationship with God is awesome. To feel God's pleasure is awesome. And there's some of you that won't let that happen. It's not God who's not expressing it. It's you that won't let it come. I've been in services before. I remember when Jamie and I first got started, I'd go to this man's services, Joe Nay, the guy that kind of got me started in ministry. And I'd go to his services and I'd be overwhelmed. I remember being in a Catherine Kuhlman meeting with 5,000 people and I saw miracles. I picked people up out of stretchers and I could put my hand around this woman's thigh. She was down to nothing. She was nearly dead. I picked her up and put her in a chair and then I saw her running back and forth and pushing her stretcher. And I saw her healed. And I, we were so much in the presence of the Lord that when the service was over, we just stood there. We felt like it was holy ground. We couldn't move. And everybody else was gone. It was just Jamie and me standing there. I've been in the presence of the Lord where I'm just overwhelmed. And I've, I've been in these services. And anyway, I was ministering. I think it was in Omaha, Nebraska. And I remember having a service and people were just, their lives were being changed. I could tell that God was changing them. People were just being set free. And I could see happening in other people what had happened in me. And I was the vessel that God was using. 
And I remember getting in the car and driving back to the hotel. I was by myself. And I was just thinking, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for using me. Thank you for touching somebody's life through me. And you know what? The Lord spoke to me and he said, well, thank you, Andrew. And you know, my first thought was, oops, this isn't God. I shouldn't be thinking this. But that was God. You know, God's a good God. God loves you. And you know what? God will tell you thank you. I had an instance where the Lord came in and kissed me one time. I won't go through that whole story. But some of you think, how dare you say something like that? Well, if he had loved me enough to die for me, he'd walk into a room and kiss me. Some of you struggle with that. That's because you don't know God. God loves you more than you could ever imagine. Nobody in here has ever plumbed the depths of God's love. But I can tell you, just the little bit that I've entered into the presence and in a relationship with God, it is so awesome. It has allowed me to overcome everything. And it's the key to the Christian life is just having a relationship with God. And the good news is He wants that relationship with you. That's why He died was to bring it. You don't... Some of you are saying, well, what do I do? And I have people always come up and say, would you please pray for me that I'll have an experience like you had? No, I won't. You know what? Having a physical, emotional experience is not what I'm talking about. Most people who've had a very emotional experience like what I experienced, it destroys them because you become addicted to it and it wears off. Mine wore off after four and a half months and you know what? Some people think, well, what did you do wrong? Nothing. God doesn't want you to live on an emotional plane to where you can feel goosebumps going up and down your spine. God's a God of faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. You know, if the Lord wanted to, He could make every one of you feel all kinds of things. He could have a bird come sit on your shoulder and whisper in your ear and say, Jesus loves you. He could have a dog walk up to you and say, Jesus loves you. The Lord could write your name in the sky. He could, ha- he could do all kinds of things, but He doesn't do it because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. The Lord doesn't want you to live on an emotional level. The Lord, for whatever reason, I don't understand, touched my life, and I had this uh, experience with the Lord. But you know what? After it wore off, I went through 13 months in Vietnam asking God to kill me because how do you live without it? And I didn't know what I did to make it happen. I didn't know why it left, and I got desperate, and I just wanted to die. And I asked God to kill me for 13 months. I just wanted to die and go to heaven. I figured you couldn't live on that plane that I'd experienced here on this earth. And then I nearly got killed twice in one day. I came within an inch of being killed twice, and I finally decided, you know what, I'm really not as excited about dying as I thought I was. And I decided I'm going to have to live. And so I just started opening up my Bible and reading it. And you know what? I I begin to learn through the Word of God that Jesus loves me. And now I am not operating on an emotional high. Most of the time I don't feel anything. It's not feeling, it's faith. I know that God loves me and I encourage myself in the Lord. I don't, I'm not going to pray for you that you'll have some emotional high because it becomes addictive. And what it does to most people, it just gets you to where, oh man, if, if God was to give you some emotional high, then you'd be depressed to the max tomorrow if you didn't have the same thing happen. And it would ruin you. 
You don't need that. What you need to do is just believe what the Bible says and minister to yourself and encourage yourself in the Lord and take the scriptures. And you know, when I first got started, I remember I'd go stand in front of a mirror and I'd say, Jesus loves you. And I'd look, and boy, all the hair on the back of my neck would stand up like, oh man, this is, I hope God don't strike me dead. I'd say, you're righteous. You're holy. You're pure. And I'd preach to myself and look myself eyeball to eyeball. And you know what? I was convincing myself. And some of you think, well, I don't want that. I just want God to supernaturally do it. No, that's how it happens. God's already proven it through Jesus coming. He's given us the Word of God and the Holy Spirit will bear witness. But you are going to have to encourage yourself. You're going to have to convince yourself that the things I'm saying are true. You need to go study these scriptures and realize that eternal life isn't just going to heaven. It's right here. Eternal life is knowing God. And that's what he came to do. If you were to read on in John 17, he says, Father, let them know that in the same way that you have loved me, I have loved them. In the same way that you sent me, I have sent them. How do you think God feels about Jesus? That's exactly the way he feels about you through who Jesus is. And if you could get a revelation of that, it'll change your life. And it'll take away your fear of what people have to say. Who cares what somebody has to say? If God Almighty loves me that way, you can be fearless. You can stand up and speak the truth. It'll give you a purpose, a drive. It'll give you a reason to get up in the morning. It changes everything, brothers and sisters. And I'm saying this in love, but I would suspect that the majority of people here do not experience eternal life. You want all of the benefits that come from knowing God, but you don't want to know God. You don't, it hadn't been presented as a goal. I'm telling you that this is why Jesus died, is he wants to have intimate, close, personal relationship with you. And it's up to you. You can encourage yourself in the Lord. And today we have even added benefit with praise and worship music. Man, you can put on praise and worship music and even if you can't carry a tune, turn the volume up loud enough and you can't tell that it's not you that's not singing. And you can worship the Lord and you can love God and you can take anointed music and you can just love God. Make sure that you get like Charlie and Jill's or some good praise and worship where you're worshiping God instead of complaining about how bad everything is and griping and talking about your problems, which is what most Christian quote-unquote music is today. But you can get into the presence of God. You can use this. You can use CDs. You can get my materials. You can get other preachers' materials and you can take the Word and build yourself up. We just don't have an excuse. Scripture says singing to yourselves. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, and speak unto yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You don't have a reason for not experience in eternal life other than either ignorance which I've just eliminated that tonight and told you that this is God's will or you are just choosing to disregard what the word says if what I've said is true and you now have heard the truth all you got to do is just begin to start moving in that direction and God will help you he will draw you unto himself he'll teach you how to keep your mind stayed on him He'll speak things to you and tell you that he loves you and tells you, tell you that he appreciates you. God will give you a hug. God will make you feel good, but you've got to let God be magnified. You've got to let God love you. 
If you'll head in that direction, I can promise you, God will help you to experience it. And once you experience it, it's like the scripture says, you can become addicted to these things. You can get to where, man, the love of God is so good and you enjoy the love of God that you just don't enjoy being griping and complaining anymore. You can actually get to where killing and murdering and uh, hatred and strife and yelling at each other that most of us spend hours a day in watching and being entertained by just doesn't excite you as much as knowing that God loves you. You can get to where you love God more than you love the television set. It can happen. 